Hello, you're listening in with Lloyd Goslink. This podcast is brought to you by Lloyd Goslink, Rochelle and Townsend in Austin, Texas. Lloyd Goslink is a 30 plus attorney firm specializing in natural resources, energy, litigation, and employment law. My name is Angie Matz, and I am the firm's marketing coordinator. Our purpose with this podcast is to talk with some of our practice area experts about timely topics and trends in an informal setting while aiming to be a little bit fun and informative to listeners. Good afternoon. This is David Klein. I'm a principal here at Lloyd Gosling, Rochelle, and Townsend in Austin, Texas. And I'm getting the opportunity to talk to y'all today about a topic that's important to me and important to my practice. And I imagine to many of you that may be listening to this, it's important to you as well. This presentation, I'm calling it the ABCs of CCNs. It's limited to water and wastewater CCNs. And I think my goal here in having this podcast is to give everyone an introduction to CCNs. And while we have legislative sessions every two years and new rules that come out and new policies that are implemented by the Public Utility Commission on CCNs, my goal here is to give you a background and an introduction to what CCNs are and what they mean and what it means to have one in a way that this podcast won't have an expiration date on it. And it's something that you can refer to for a while. And so I'm just going to get started here. Again, my goal is to talk about what they are and how they're regulated and what you can do to get one or to lose one or to transfer one. There's a lot of possibilities here. And I think we're going to take the next bit of time here to go through this. And so first of all, with all these ABCs and CCNs, the first question here is, what is a CCN? And a CCN is a Certificate of Convenience and Necessity, and it's regulated today by the Public Utility Commission. The laws regulating CCNs are included in Chapter 13 of the Water Code and in Chapter 24 of the Public Utility Commission's regulations. And what a CCN is, it's an authorization that you can get from the Public Utility Commission or before the Public Utility Commission. It was the TCEQ, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. And what it does is when you get it, it gives you the exclusive right to serve every customer within the certified area. And then you have the obligation to provide continuous and adequate service. So, you know, the question that arises from that is, well, who's the you in that situation? And the you is, you could be a for-profit company, you could be a nonprofit water supply corporation, or you could be a district or a city, or there's other types of entities that can get CCNs. But for the most part, the for-profit, nonprofit, district, and city service providers are the typical entities that get CCNs and go to the PUC to get the authorizations secured. And so, as I mentioned, the Public Utility Commission is the state agency today that regulates them. And before it was the TCEQ, and then ultimately, I believe back in the 70s, it all started with the Public Utility Commission. So it's been backed at the commission for a number of years now, several sessions. I think in 2014 is when it switched back. The PUC's had jurisdiction over these since, and then we've been just working with our clients to get these applications through that agency. And so when you think about a CCN and it's a certificate, and yes, that's some sort of piece of paper that in an order from the, the state agency, what does it really mean? What is a CCN? Well, the PUC has three different types of CCNs that you can get. 
One is called a facilities-only CCN. And I guess to picture that in your mind, instead of thinking it in terms of an area, think of it in terms of a line on the ground. Maybe it goes along a street, maybe it goes across private property, but it's just a line. And then there are specific points on that line where the CCN holder is allowed to provide service to that area. You don't see those very often anymore, but if you go research the PUC's website, sometimes you'll find some old CCNs that are depicted that way. The second type, and again, you don't see this as much, but they do exist, is a facilities plus 200 feet CCN. And what that is, is again, in your mind, picture a line that's going down that same street or that same private property. But not only do you have the ability to serve at certain, well, it's not that you don't have the ability just to serve at a specific location, but really you can serve within 200 feet of that line on either side, anywhere where that line exists. And so it's a little bit broader than the facilities only, but it's still limited in the sense that it's only 200 feet on each side of that water line or wastewater line that you're allowed to serve. And then the third and most common type of CCN boundary that you'll see is what we call a bounded service area. And that's simple to envision as well. It's really just a polygon of some shape. Sometimes they follow roads, sometimes they follow rivers, or just sometimes they follow county lines, or in other instances, they just follow the unique lay of the land as some tracks as you go down a road maybe are of different sizes and shapes and it's just the outside boundaries of them. So you basically have these line CCNs and you have the bounded polygon CCN areas. Those are the main types. And so what are we talking about here when we're talking about CCNs? What kind of activities are we talking about? Yes, it's something that a water and a a sewer service provider might need or want to get, but it's what part of the transaction of providing service is that what we're wondering about? Well, the activity that's addressed by CCN is the provision of retail water service or retail sewer service. It's not the wholesale transaction. You don't need to have a CCN to provide wholesale service but you do need a retail service in certain situations. And we'll talk about that in a second. But again, the retail service transaction is the provision of potable water service or sewer service, or both of them, by a retail public utility to the ultimate consumer for compensation. And so when we talk retail, we're thinking the sale of water to homeowners, the sale of water to commercial businesses or hotels, any transaction like that. But when we're talking about wholesale service, That would be the sale of a water supply or wastewater treatment capacity from one big scale entity to the other service provider. There's never a charge. There's no transaction with a single person or company. So with CCNs, the question arises is, well, do I need to get a CCN? I'm a water service provider. Do I need to get one? And of course, like any good legal question, the answer is it depends. It depends on what type of entity you are. If you are a for-profit corporation or a non-profit corporation, and we call those for short, for-profit corporations, we call them investor-owned utilities or IOUs. And then for non-profit entities, we call them water supply corporations or sewer service corporations. They are non-profit entities that have a special section in the Texas Water Code where they have additional regulations on them. And for both of these types of entities, for-profit and non-profit corporations, if you want to provide retail water service or retail wastewater service to a specific area, whether it be through the facility CCN or the Polygon CCN, you have to have a CCN in order to do that. If you're a district or you're a city, well, then it's completely up to your discretion as to whether or not you want to get one. 
There's certainly reasons to get it, even though you're not required to. And there's many cities and districts out there that do. One main reason is just to have the certainty for your planning purposes and to ensure that everybody knows that this is your service area and this is where you intend to serve and continue to serve. So with the PUC being the entity, the state agency that regulates CCNs, they do actually have a good, robust database online so that you can find out information about CCNs. They have a CCN map viewer where you can actually zoom in on different parts of the state And you can find if the land that you're interested in is within the CCN boundaries of another entity, or if it's completely uncertificated area, you can look at it for water or for wastewater or for both. And it's really helpful and can save a lot of time so that you know what you need to do or who the other neighboring entities are where your land may be. And then you can know who to go in contact because then there's also information on the database for each entity to find out their address and contact information. It's pretty robust and it's very helpful. And then anytime you're trying to obtain or modify a CCN in some form or fashion, you have to have a filing and application at the PUC. And with each application, there's a docket number. And so you can easily find the docket. Now you can do a search based upon an entity name to find out the docket number And then you can search on the docket number and literally pull up any of the filings that have occurred in that docket from wherever you are. And basically, it's instantaneous. So what are the different types of applications that you might want to get or submit for a CCN? CCNs can be created as new service requests. As a landowner or if you are working for an investor-owned utility or a water supply corporation or a city or a district, the basic question arises, okay, I either need to get a CCN because I want to serve somewhere or someone else has a CCN over an area that I'm interested in or maybe I want to try to impact the way that the CCN maps look at this time. So what are the different types of things you can do with respect to CCNs? Well, you can file an application for a new CCN And for those entities out there that already have CCNs, you can file another type of application, which is an amendment application. And that allows you to try to amend the existing service boundaries to include additional area. There are a couple of different types of applications that you can file if you are looking to transfer a CCN. Why would you want to transfer a CCN? Well, typically there's an agreement between the retail utility service providers where maybe they want to swap CCN territory, maybe they want to sell a system, maybe there's a CCN mapping mistake that needs to be corrected, Um, or maybe there's just some customers that need to be transferred. As a landowner or as someone that is working for an investor-owned utility or a water supply corporation or, or a city or a district, there are different types of applications that you can file at the PUC that will address your goal of what you're trying to accomplish. If you don't have a CCN yet and you've created some new entity, then you can file an application for a new water or sewer or both CCN. The PUC has an application form and they have their typical boilerplate questions and you'll need to have your exhibits, but that is one type of application. If you already have a CCN and you're looking to expand the boundaries of your CCN area, well, then you can file an application to amend your CCN. It looks a lot like the application for a new CCN. It's just that you're taking into consideration the fact that you already have one and that you're just trying to change the boundaries somewhere. 
Another type of transaction that necessitates CCN amendments is if you're going to have a transfer of a CCN. And there's two different types of transfer applications that you typically see at the PUC. One is under Section 13.248 of the Water Code, where two entities have agreed to transfer service area from one entity to the other. They're usually simpler, straightforward applications There is no PUC application form, but there's a handful of requirements that you provide in addition to the contract, and the PUC can process that to basically move CCN area from one entity to another. Sometimes entities do this just because one entity wants to start serving the area from someone else, and they're willing to voluntarily make that transaction. Sometimes there's CCN boundary errors that need to be corrected, and sometimes there's areas that two entities just might want to swap from one another. Maybe entity A wants to serve where B is and B wants to serve where A is and it makes more sense for the entities and they come up to a nice agreement to do it. And this would be the route to do it is under 13.248. The other is a bit more complex and it's to transfer and it's under 13.301 of the water code. And that's called the sale transfer merger application. And that's important because this is essentially the buyout of not just service area, but service area and the actual water and wastewater facilities. In a way, it's a, it's like buying real property. You're going to have a contract to complete the sale, and then you would file your application at the PUC to identify the CCN area to sell and the facilities that are going to be transferred. And then the PUC does its review to decide whether or not you get to close. And assuming you get to close, then they'll approve that and you have six months to close. And then once you're done with the closing, then the CCN area is transferred formally and the matter is complete. So it's definitely a a bit more complicated than the 13248, but that's because the transaction is more complicated than the 13248 situation. The last type of application I wanted to flag is the dual CCN application. And what that means is typically if one entity already has a CCN, and you want to go get a CCN over that same area, the general take is that it's a very difficult thing to accomplish unless the parties are willing to accommodate it, which is often the case. The parties are aligned and they can reach some agreement as to the terms and conditions under which both entities can serve. It may be that the dividing line of when entity A serves versus entity B serves is based upon population density in the area. Or maybe it's based upon a certain type of use, like residential versus commercial. But in any event, the law says that you cannot serve in another entity's CCN area unless you get the permission from that other entity. And so that's what the dual CCN application accomplishes. Some general things about the CCN application process, regardless of whether it's a new application or an amendment application or some sort of transfer or dual, is that... The PUC has strict mapping requirements. And so you're going to have to prepare both paper, well, I say paper, they're more like PDF files, layperson maps depicting the CCN area that is going to be the issue of the application. But then they also want digital data as well, which is going to be uh, shape files, GIS data, electronic representation of the area to be addressed through whatever type of CCN application it is. They're going to want it. Why do they want both? In my opinion, they they want the paper so that everyone can see what it is. But then, because as I mentioned at the outset, that there's this online mapping database that shows 
all the CCNs in Texas and where they sit, they need the electronic data so that they can layer that new information into their existing electronic files and it can be depicted on the viewer. So when you're putting together an application of any sort for a CCN, team is usually consisting of an attorney because at the PUC, all filings by PUC staff that goes through their attorneys. And so it's always good when you're dealing with attorneys on the other side to have your own. And so generally speaking, attorneys are the ones that are making the filings at the PUC for you and they're a part of your team. And then you also have either an engineer or other technical GIS specialist to help with the maps. They're an equally important member of the team and you can't get the application through without at least both of those people. And then lastly, with a lot of these types of applications, you have to issue mailed and published notice of the application. And so having someone with a good understanding of the area is important so that you can ensure that you're issuing notice in accordance with the PUC regs. One last thing that I wanted to talk about that I've kind of saved here is probably what what seems to me to be the most common application I see at the PUC these days, and that's CCN decertification petitions. So yes, you can get an application for a new one or to amend to add area, or you can try to sell it, or you can become duly certificated. But the last one is, is that your CCN can be decertified. Even though you have the right to provide exclusively retail water, wastewater service within the boundaries of the CCN, and you have the obligation to do so, Once you get one, it doesn't mean that you get to keep it forever. There are statutes in the water code that provide mechanisms for either the entity itself, the service provider, or some third party to decertify some or all of your CCN boundaries. And so these different decertification petitions are regulated through Texas Water Code 13.254, 2541, and 13255. And I'll just take a quick minute to go through each of these types of decertification petitions. The first one is what I call the old-fashioned decert process. It can be filed by the PUC staff. It can be filed by a third party that wants to decertify area from the CCN holder. And I call it the old-fashioned way because for many years I've been doing this here at Lloyd Gosling for nearly 16 years. And before I was here, I worked at the TCQ. When they had jurisdiction over CCNs, I worked in their water utilities group where we process CCN applications. And at that time, back in the, well, I don't want to say how long ago it was, but in the early 2000s, the 13.254 uh, old-fashioned process is all there was. And what someone would have to prove to actually decertify service area is to prove up a laundry list of elements, at least eight or nine things to to demonstrate why the CCN area should be decertified. And that's a very time and cost prohibitive exercise. And the likelihood of victory is uncertain and, and certainly fact dependent, but it's a tough threshold for the decertification to prevail. But then over these 16 years, there's been a couple legislative changes to try to create a path for a landowner to get their land removed from the boundaries of a CCN. They first came up with this expedited desert process, which said that if you're a landowner, 25 acres or more, not receiving water service, then you can go through this process at the PUC 
that says it's a bit more streamlined, but you look at the level of service and the needs and costs to get service from the current service provider versus the costs and needs for the same manner and level and amount of service from whoever the landowner wants to get service from. And there's a comparison and an analysis, but it's really a much more streamlined process and they created it specifically for the landowners. It's not something that other utilities could use or retail public utilities could use to try to decertify another service provider's boundaries. But even that wasn't necessarily a clear path mechanism for landowners to get out of a CCN if they wanted to. There was definitely some analysis that went on and some questions, and it's not as certain of a process of what the outcome would be. But then the legislature created a second expedited process, and it's called the Streamlined Expedited Release Process. And that is what is regulated under 13.2541 today in the Water Code. And under that process, if you're a landowner of 25 acres or more, and you're located in a county with a million people or a county adjacent to a county with a million people, and you're not receiving service from the current service provider, that you can go to the PUC and say that you want to get out of that CCN area. And the PUC will essentially say that if you can meet all those prerequisites, then you will get out of the CCN area. And so it takes time for the PUC to process the first part of that. And then once that order is issued, then the next step is for the parties to go in and determine what level of compensation is the CCN holder entitled to for having the area removed. And there's a statutory laundry list of factors there that the parties go through. The last CCN desert option that I wanted to talk about is under 13.255 of the Water Code. And this is an application that is only available to municipalities. And municipalities can't use this for anywhere that they want in the state or in every instance of the state. It's limited. And it's limited to a city being able to decertify CCN area that is, for the most part, either possessed by a water supply corporation or a Texas special utility district. And the land must be within the corporate limits of the city. And so if you can clear those two hurdles, then you can avail yourself of this process. Or if you are the SUD or the water supply corporation, you're going to have to defend yourself from such an application. But essentially what the application says is, if you want to decertify area in your corporate limits in these entities, CCN areas, you can do so and you will win. I think the statute says the commission will approve the application. So the point of the rest of the application is determining what kind of compensation is the decertified water supply corporation or special utility district entitled to. And just like with the streamlined expedited desert process and the expedited desert process, and the old-fashioned desert process, the CCN holder is always entitled to compensation. There's a separate set of elements for a city in determining what will be considered for compensation under 13255, but I'll tell you it's very similar to the same compensation methodology that's in 13.254. And so ultimately, it, these governmental authorizations are important for some entities, they're a necessity to be able to provide retail water or wastewater service. And it's important to know what your options are for your strategy and how you want to operate and grow or slow down your business and, and how you want to provide service to everyone. And so hopefully 
this podcast is giving you a little background and, and introduction to those concepts. And I'm always available for any questions if you have. And, you know, if this was a speech, I, I could I could look out in the audience and, and look for any hands that are in the air. But obviously, that's not how things work here. So let me tell you, my email address is D-K-L-E-I-N at lglawfirm.com. And you can reach me at any time. Shoot me an email and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. I appreciate you for listening. And I hope to follow up with you in the future about more issues related to CCNs that maybe dig a little deeper than the intro level on what some current trends and changes are occurring in this industry. But at a minimum, I hope that this can be a podcast that you can listen to and refer to for quite some time. Thanks. If you would like more information about what you've heard today, please visit lglawfirm.com. You can also find us at Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views, nor are they endorsed by Lloyd Gosling Law Firm. None of this content should be considered legal advice, as one should always consult a lawyer. This podcast is not intended for commercial purposes and is made available at no cost. Music for the podcast is from album Jazz You and is titled by The Coast 2004-2007 by Anthony Rajakov. License under the Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License is available on Free Music Archive. To learn more, visit by clicking the link in today's summary.